There. Okay. Oh, now big voice, big booming voice. Oh, I sound good. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is great to be here with you. Uh, you. You're getting a double dose of Havercross this summer. Uh, it's, it's interesting, as Ian has grown up and in pastoral circles, he was always known as my son. But now I'm becoming known as his father. <laughs> which is a great thing. His reputation is growing, and he's getting known, especially in London, obviously. Uh, as I come to London, because he is here and my grandkids are here, it's, uh, it's a way easier trip now to be able to come to London and to uh, be with you guys. And as Matt mentioned, it is my birthday, so I even get to go and have a bit of a celebration with my grandkids here today. Uh, we were on holidays with them for the last, uh, not quite two weeks, but it felt like that. As we were driving over this morning, it's like a little, an hour and a bit to drive over, and I have to admit, I thought, man, I think I need another week holidays to, to get over being with everybody for these last weeks, just to kind of get regenerated, being with my grandkids from here and grandkids out there, and we had a wonderful time, but... I'm still feeling a little bit weary, <laughs> which will tie in, as you'll hear in a few moments, that perhaps is a great message for myself and for all of us this morning. I'm so glad that Nate is able to have a sabbatical. That's a wonderful privilege for a pastor and uh, to enjoy and to take a time of restoration. And that, that word restoration is going to resonate with us a little bit this morning. Restoration, it's all about bringing something back to its original condition. That's what it is to restore something, to, to regenerate it, to, to fix it up. It's actually what God does for us in salvation. Salvation is all about bringing us back to our created wholeness. It's who he's created us to be, one with him in fellowship. And we are created in his image, but we are broken by sin. And through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us, it, he is restoring us and bringing us back. And in sabbatical, it's bringing back to strength and hope and purpose. And I trust that you're praying that for your pastor and his family as they have this time. And I'm sure that all of us can identify with that idea of restoration, especially in these days. I think our society is generally tired right now. I mean, it is, it's been just a, it's been a long couple of years, COVID, but just a whole lot of other things. There's an emotional weariness. It's felt endless. You know, we're talking about a seventh wave, an eighth wave, then you've got monkeypox now. Yesterday I heard in the radio, they're talking about polio now. That polio is kind of coming back and you're just like, oh, like, what next? I even heard yesterday, it was interesting that that outdoor summer concerts are suffering. And one of the comments they made is because fans don't know how to be fans at outdoor concerts. After two years of not gathering, they're finding it too exhausting being all together in these crowds. I said, that's incredible, right? The, the long lingering effects of what has happened. And when we get emotionally and physically tired, it's no surprise to us that that also can affect our spiritual condition because it is all tied together. So that weariness that's upon society. I think there's a lot of confusion in our culture right now as well. You know, in our culture, there are so many conflicting values that seem to just be coming stronger and stronger against us, especially as followers of Christ. 
you know, you have all the gender issues. You've got Roe versus Wade happening in the States. You've got Ukrainian war that's, a, that's just weighing on the world. You've got issues of democracy that seem to be coming up and what's happening in all of these areas. And it just takes this mental toll upon us and puts this stress upon our lives in this confusion. And especially, again, for those who follow Christ, when it feels like culture is so opposed to us, Everywhere we turn, there's just this heaviness of, of being able to stand for Christ, but just feeling weighed down by that. And it just starts to drag on us. And it's not like all of life stops so that we can deal with all of that, is it? I mean, we still all have issues of everyday pains, everyday health issues and finance issues and relationship issues. I think there's just a general stress that, that has been heightened because of all of these things. I just mentioned we've been traveling. We flew out west. Well, to mention flying these days, I mean, I don't know if you've been following that, but the weeks before we were going to fly, we were listening to news every day trying to figure out how early do we need to be to the airport. You know, how long are we going to have to wait in lines? Are planes actually going to be flying? And, just, it just weighs on you. Travel, which used to be kind of this almost taken for granted. You'd arrive at the airport and just now you kind of have to be thinking about it and it stresses you out. We had, uh, we had actually great times, although flights were delayed. Our return flight was, first of all, bumped from the morning. We were going to get back in Hamilton at about 11 a.m., which is an early flight from out west, but no, I guess it was one because we brought it 11. But I got bumped to an evening flight so we weren't going to arrive until after midnight. And that was Ian's kids and us and everything. And then at the other end, it got delayed a couple hours. So we weren't back into the Hamilton Airport until after 2 a.m. And we both, we got into two taxis. And as the taxis took off, we got about a mile from the airport. And one of the taxis, the rad blue. <laughs> so it's just kind of like... Yeah, it's now 3 a.m. in the morning. You're just like, oh, let this thing end, right? And it just weighs on you. And, you know, all of these things that just come upon us, you know, I, if I had hair to spare, I'd pull it out more, <laughs> right? It's just that collective sense of just a, oh, a sigh. It's that, oh, kind of feeling. Now, I'm saying all of this to invite you into Psalm 143. You know, if all of that has reminded you of your tiredness, confusion, of the sigh that you may feel in your heart and in your soul, it's why Psalm 143 is written for us. It's written by David, and as he's writing it, he is in one of those ah kind of moments in his life. We're not told exactly what the moment is, but as you read this psalm, you're going to know it's one of those moments. It's one of those moments in, in David's life where he's feeling frustrated. He's feeling crushed in some ways. He's feeling far from God's care. It's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of penitence. And lament is a good place to be in tough times. It's a good place for us to practice. And I have to admit, for Baptists, it's not usually a place for us to find ourselves. It's not one of our traditions. It's a very liturgical type of thing for some churches. Sometimes in our churches, we don't find ourselves there. 
But the Psalms go there a lot. See, lament is defined as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's not complaint. It's sometimes what we think it is, although it might come out of the source of that. It's not just complaining to God. It's an expression of our grief or sorrow. It's an expression of where we are. It's a recognition of our losses, of our pains, and our longing for better days. It's a recognition, really, of lost hope. During COVID, our church, we did a series of, of sermons on just this whole idea of lament to try and help us cope with all of these things that we're going through. And one of the quotes that stuck with me by a man by the name of Mark Vogrop uh, is this. He said this about lament. You might think that lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. Think of lament as the transition between pain and promise. It's that last phrase that sticks with me. It's the transition between the pain and the promise. It's how we make the move. It's how we find ourselves understanding and acknowledging the pain, understanding where we're at, but moving us forward into this sense that there is promise, that there is hope, that for those of us who are found in Jesus Christ, that we don't need to reside there. It's the song that we sing while we're on the path. It's the space between the brokenness and the mercy. And that's where this psalm dwells. This psalm dwells in that in-between space. It doesn't arrive. It doesn't kind of, it's not one of those psalms that completes itself. Sometimes the psalms do that. They end in lament and they end in praise. And it seems to have resolved the whole picture. This psalm is one where David still is in it. He's living in the moment of the pain. He's living in the moment of the tiredness. It's in the space in between. Years ago, Mark Buchanan might be an author you've written. He wrote a whole book about living in this borderland. Borderland is that place. You, we know the experience a little bit when you go, when you're crossing into the States. Right? You first come to the, the first border and they kind of ask what's, where you're heading, you pay your tolls, and you know that you cross over from Canada, but you've still got that space in between before you actually get to U.S. Customs. There's a borderland between the two. In some countries, that, that distance, and this is where Buchanan writes about, he writes about a situation in a country in Africa where the distance between the two borders is about 200 yards. And there's people living in that space. There's people who have no rights in either country. They live in borderland. They live in that limbo kind of world. And he says, for us as believers, we can find ourselves at times in that borderland. And I think that's what lament sometimes is. We live in the borderland. It's the transition from the pain into the promise. And we need to know how to make the transition. We need to see how God has allowed for us to experience this, but then walks with us through it all. And so this is what Psalm 143 is. If you've got a Bible with you, the verses are going to be up in the passage, but it's, I think it's handy in this particular passage or psalm to have it in front of you, and you can kind of do some comparisons that are going to make with you. It's one of those psalms that breaks nicely into two parts. The first two parts, verses 1 to 6, and the verses 7 to 12. If you remember from your poetry studies, 
Some of that, when I say poetry to some people, causes great dread in their hearts. I have to admit, I'm one of those. <laughs> English was not my great forte as I was going through school. Obviously, as a pastor, though, I've learned to love some of those things as you study Scripture. So this psalm has this kind of two parts, and it's an A-B-B-A structure. Do you remember that? That simply means that the beginning and the end is the same, and then there's some comparisons to be made in the middle. And so what I want to do with you this morning is start with the bookends, with the AA parts, to think about the similarities about how he begins this psalm and how he ends it. The A parts are verses 1 and 2 and verses 11 and 12. And so look for the similarities as I read these two passages. Look for the repeated words so you'll see where David starts and ends this psalm of lament. So verse 1, he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. And then skip down to verse 11. Listen how he ends. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Did you see some of those repetitions as he begins and ends the psalm? It's why I say he, this isn't a psalm of completion. He's still there. He begins and ends the same way. Two themes in each, some repeated words, God's faithfulness and his righteousness. These are, these are the attributes of God that he counts on. He's saying, God, you are the faithful one. You are the righteous one. It's why I am coming to you in this moment. It's you that I'm looking to for solution. And the second theme that I'd point out to you is he identifies himself as the servant of the Lord. I am your servant, he says. I understand my place in the economy of your kingdom and, and who you have created me to be and where I will find my comfort. And this is where lament, profitable lament, is going to reside. It's going to reside, first of all, in the confidence in God's faithfulness and righteousness, but it's a servant's confidence. It's the confidence of one who says, I am under you. And it's a, it's a healthy and a good place to find myself. Right? I want to be under you, O faithful, righteous one. I want to be giving myself to you. And ultimately, isn't that the covenant relationship of God that we have? Isn't that the covenant relationship of a person of faith? Isn't that gospel? The gospel is that by grace in Jesus Christ, we have the gift of eternal life. And we dwell in the unfailing love of God. We can get weary and tired in life, but we return to these foundations. God is faithful. God is righteous. He will forgive, and He will preserve. He will lift us up. It's why He has saved us. He saved us to bring us into His family and into His kingdom and to, and to help us. Notice as well these things in these bookends. The first is that he begins his psalm with a penitent note. Listen to my cry for mercy. God, I come to you as one who understands that I need your mercy in my life. I am a sinner. I am one who is undone without your mercy, without your grace to me. 
Listen to what he says. Do not bring me into judgment. For I know no one living before you is righteous before you. It's the cry of one who knows their eternal place with God is not found in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness, we would say, of Christ through the eyes of the cross. You know, our place before God, our, our confidence is in that sense of a repentant life, a confessional life. When I come to God, I come with that sense of, oh, Lord, hear my prayer, my cry for mercy. So it begins in penitence, knowing that God will lift us up when we give ourselves to him. And sin may not be the cause of our lament. Sin may not be the cause of why we find ourselves in this place. I mean, the weariness that I was describing earlier isn't because of my personal sin. It is, the, it is the, the, the woes of what is happening in our culture. It's the sin that, that resides in the world in that sense. But there are times when my sin may be that which has caused the division between me and God. I need to keep close accounts of that. So I need to keep a confessional life. But then notice in the end, he changes a little bit. It's not just penitence. It's not penitence. As he closes the psalm, he says, And Lord, preserve me. Rescue me. Help me, O God. Preserve my life. Bring me out of trouble. My life, O God, it, this, it's for your name's sake that I'm praying this. I, as your representative in this world, know I need your help if I'm going to stay in a sense of representing your holy name in this world and living a life that has the strength and grace that comes from you. And so, Lord, I come in that way before your faithfulness and righteousness, calling out for your persevering spirit to be with me and encouraging me and blessing me and helping me. And this is the beginning and the end of lament. To come before God and say, oh God, I know I'm a sinner who needs your help, but oh God, I cry out for your help. Preserve me and silence my enemies. Destroy my foes, for I am your servant. And once we have affirmed our standing in Christ, and that would be my cry for all of you this morning, that you would know that, that deep inner sense of peace that comes from being his child of knowing that you have given yourself through faith and by grace have been saved so that the Spirit resonates with your spirit that you are His child and that is your standing in Christ. And then you are free to lament, to tell God how it is, to share with God and to, to let Him hear your pain. That's what happens in verses 3 to 6. David, after he has this affirming conversation with God about who he is and about uh, who David is, he then begins in verse 3 to, to say, God, but here's what's going on around me. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 3. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works. Consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Wow, what's going on in David's life? The enemy pursues me. Now we understand David as king had literal enemies that would be after him. 
As a warrior, David would understand what it was to be in battle. And so it was maybe one of these moments that he was being pursued. But I think what he talks about here is he says that the enemy is pursuing him. He crushes me to the ground. We can all identify that in some way. We may not have a literal physical enemy against us, but there are those events and circumstances in our life that we can feel like are crushing us, that we're beaten, like we're living in the darkness of a grave. That's what he really says. I'm in the land of the dead. Wow. And then he talks about being depressed and being crushed. His spirit is growing faint. He's feeling beaten and alone. This is the passionate sorrow of lament. David is saying, God, I, I have hit the bottom here. And I think what we learn about this in lament is that we need to identify and confess and feel and express about where we are. You know what's great to, about this? Is God's okay. God isn't in heaven going, Whoa, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why would you tell me all that? God in his greatness and his glory is saying, yeah, come, my child. Come to me. Talk to me about what's going on. Many years ago, I read a book by Larry Crabb called Papa Praying. And in that praying, he, he made kind of his definition of prayer was that we need to learn relational praying. And Papa was this acrostic. Because he says, too often our praying is I come to God with my list of requests. And in this, he was trying to train us and to help us understand that Papa stands for we need to present ourselves, we need to attend to who God is, I need to purge myself, and then I need to approach him, Papa, P-A-P-A. And in doing that, what he's really saying is I need to spend way more time in just being with God, saying, God, this is who I know you to be, and this is who I know me to be right now. You know, it's lamenting. It's saying, God, this is what's going on in my life. This is, this is what's happening. This is what I'm missing. This is what I've lost. Look at the action words of verses 5 and 6. As David kind of spreads out and he identifies and he confesses, he then says, and God, I remember. I meditate. I consider. You know, I remember the days of long ago. What's he doing? What David is doing is that in his lament, he recognizes what he's lost. But he goes back and he says, I want to remember, God, your history with me, of your love and your grace. I need to remember what you have done in my life. That's what's missing. I meditate on all your works. That might be a theological meditation. It might be a sense of rehearsing God's attributes. It might just be a simple reflection on God's work that he has seen. Oh, God, you've been faithful. I've seen your hand at work. I've understood your grace in my life. David intentionally recalls, I consider what your hands have done. God, I, I have a sense of, God, how you have worked with my life and been personally with me. You know, I need to get intentional and say, God, I know this is how I'm feeling right now. I know these are the circumstances around me. But God, we have a history together. And then look what he gets after all this. Verse 6, I spread my hands out to you. What's that an action of? Isn't that just an action of saying, God, 
I'm surrendering to you again. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. God, I am dry. God, I, I need you to come and to quicken in my heart and my life again that sense of who you are. See, this is lament. Lament is saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening around me. I come to you because you're faithful and righteous and I'm your servant and I identify all of these things. And now, God, would you remind me? Help me to remember who you are and what you've done in my heart and my life before. I'm not feeling it right now, God. I need that touch from you. I'm thirsty. I need a drink of water. And then in the psalm, it has that little word, selah, which most understand to be, take a pause. Take a rest right there. With hands wide open and saying, God, I'm thirsty. And just take a moment for God to bless you, to minister to you. And then David says, answer me quickly, O Lord. <laughs> yeah, isn't that where we find ourselves? <laughs> Lord, I know I'm resting, I'm pausing, but ooh, I'd like it now. <laughs> right? I know I need action right now. I'm fading fast, God. Answer me quickly. My spirit fades. Do not hide your face from me. I'll be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord. For I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. You know, it does lead to petition. Lament is not just this pouring out and reflecting and identifying and confessing. It does come to a moment of saying, and God, this is, this is what I need. God, this is what I, I believe I need from you. And in this psalm, it's interesting, David has a pretty good list there. I think there's at least five things that he asks. I think in my heart and my life, at times, I need just to identify one of these. God, what is it that I'm lamenting? What is it that I've remembered? What's missing in my life? And then to say, here's what I need. I think the first thing he does is say, God, I need deliverance. Answer me quickly. My spirit's fading. God, I need to be lifted up out of this situation. God, I need to be delivered from this, and, and I can't get myself out of this. God, I need the touch of your hand. God, I need your presence is the next thing. Don't hide your face from me. I'll be like those who are destined to be separated from you. God, would you in some way remind me that you're here? Oh, God, would you in some way speak to my heart Father, I will listen for your voice. Father, would you in the fellowship of the believers that I am a part of, would you bless me through someone today or through a phone call or in some way? Father, I need your presence. Or Lord, I need revelation. Isn't it great? He says, in the morning, bring me word of your unfailing love. Lord, when I wake up and I've had that bad night, would you somehow by your word open my heart afresh to you? 
You know, I think that's just the speaking to us of the constant need that we have to be putting ourselves into the place of, of allowing God to speak to us. Lord, would you today, as I, as I endeavor to take in your word, would you bless me through that word? For I'm trusting in you. And then he says, would you give me direction? Show me the way. Lord, help me to see the options. Help me to see the opportunities. Help me to see my way through what is before me. Or Lord, teach me to do your will. I think a word there is just motivation. Lord, give me fresh insight. Give me, give me a new perspective. Teach me so that I have the motivation to move ahead and to move on through the things that are taking place in and around me. And note that each of these requests comes as an expression of the servant's confidence. I've put my trust in you, Lord. Or that hasn't gone. I still understand. Remember how he starts and ends? Your faithfulness, your righteousness. I, as your servant, will still trust you. In fact, I've entrusted my life to you, a reminder of what it is to be his child, to be in his place of salvation. He says, I hide myself in you. <laughs> Ultimately, you are my security. And then there's just a couple of statements that he makes that I think help us to just reemphasize how we come to God and lament. The first, he says, is simply this, for ultimately you are my God. Verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Just that simple affirmation again that just says, I understand who we both are. You are God. And then he ends the psalm by saying, and I am your servant. Again, it's the covenantal promise of God. It's how he reminds us who we all are in this relationship. I will be your God. You will be my people. You are my God. I am your servant. It's New Testament as well, isn't it? First Peter 2.2. I didn't put it up on the screen. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who we are through faith in Christ. This is who we are as the people of God. This is who you are as a chosen person of God in his family and in his kingdom. You are his people. You are his, and he is your God. And he will be with you and walk with you and show you the way through. The point of lament is that when we trust, or that we can trust, that when we lift our souls up to God, that he will lift our souls up, that he will meet us, that he will be there. And hope begins to be birthed in that place between the pain and the praise. As I said, the psalmist doesn't seem to arrive at that final destination, does he? I mean, he's ending the psalm. In your unfailing love, silence my enemy, destroy my foes, I'm your servant. I still, I'm still feeling under the gun, but God, I'm so at rest being here. 
because ultimately I can pour my soul out to you. This place between brokenness and God's mercy is where these psalms are sung. Remember how we started? Lament. It's the transition between the pain and the promise. Lament your losses. Lament your sorrows. Lament your frustrations. And expect them all to point you back to the ultimate place of rest. Jesus, your Savior. Jesus, the one who has given himself in death for you, that you might be forgiven from your sins and brought into an eternal relationship with him of rest. It does not mean that your life will be free from problems or distress or worry, but it does mean that you will understand his glorious presence of walking with you through it all. And that's where lament takes us. And so we may find ourselves tired and confused and frustrated. And I would encourage you that you can turn to psalms like this or you can even just turn to some of the reflections that I've given you this morning and saying, God, yet this is where I find myself. This is where I'm at. But I'm so glad that you are my God and I am your servant and that you will meet me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that when we find ourselves lost, when we find ourselves frustrated and tired, when we find ourselves in these places, oh God, that seem so wearying to our souls, that you have given us a way to escape, a way to find rest and peace with you. God, we don't need to be ashamed to confess to you our tiredness and the pain and the things that are taking place around us. We confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful and righteous to, con to forgive us our sins, and we thank you for that. But, Lord, I also thank you that when we come to you and look for rest and peace, that you will give us of your presence, that you will give us of your grace, and that you will help us to walk through and be with us even in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm, and that you will open our eyes up to hope hope that can walk with us today or hope that might even be that forever hope that we once have a place with you forever in eternity. So thank you for all this, God, and your grace and your peace and your mercy. Bless us, we pray. Amen.